right, I gotta, <laughs> just glad I got in here at 11.03, <clears throat> was having a grand time uh, in the couples class this morning and talking to people and all sorts of things, and all of a sudden I realized I was late for church. So, it's a great first start, uh, but we're looking forward to, uh, well, we're, we truly are excited to be here. We're, as I was sharing in the couples class this morning, we're excited for the future of this church. And isn't it incredible? God has already done some marvelous and impossible things bringing us together. Our paths were not going to cross, and God crossed our paths. He's done some incredible things by just bringing us together, and I believe that everyone that is sitting here this morning desires for this church to succeed. More than that, you want to see the church thrive for the glory of Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches very clearly that each and every one of us are members of this body. And you have a large impact, far greater than you realize, on the health of this church. Because you are one of the members of this body. And in order for this church to thrive... You need to hear something from the Bible that will help you. And in Philippians chapter 3, uh, you'll probably be familiar with this passage, but this is the passage that kept coming to mind as I thought about this a particular Sunday. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, say, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. You have a huge impact on the health and future of this church. And there are five ways from this passage here in Philippians chapter 3, the message I've entitled, This One Thing I Do. I didn't come up with that. It was right there. But there are five ways from this passage that you personally can contribute to the healing and the growth of this church. Back up a little bit and look at verse 12 where it says, Not as though... I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Notice, first of all, Paul mentions his own personal failings. He says, not as though I've already attained or I'm already made perfect or I've already been apprehended. Paul had not made it yet. He had not arrived yet. Paul, the apostle who uh, planted church after church and saw uh, thousands come to Christ. And uh, the Bible says that the time he spent in Ephesus, he was only there for a little while, a couple of years, that by the time that he left, the whole region had heard the gospel. This man had an incredible impact as an apostle, and he literally saw people rise from the dead. Uh, he survived shipwrecks. He went, after, uh, went through thing after thing and saw miracle after miracle, and he said, you know what? I've got a long way to go. I have personal failings, and you and I have not made it yet 
either. You know, it's, it's really easy as human beings to look around and say, well, you know, so-and-so. Let me tell you about so-and-so. Man, if, if so-and-so weren't in this church, we'd be a lot better off because so-and-so is struggling with this and so-and-so is going through this and so-and-so is all of these problems. But as Pastor even preached last week, it's way easier to identify the problems in others than it is to admit them in ourselves. And we have way more failings and problems than we would care to admit. If, if we could, in a moment... Just lay out everything I have ever done on this platform. I tell you what, I'd go back to Michigan. <laughs> Same thing with you. If we knew everything about each other, we would be appalled and you would be appalled for all of your faults to just be laid out there for everyone to see. But the Bible makes it very clear. We have not made it yet. And because you and I have our own faults and our own failings and our own sinfulness, because you and I have a mind that is affected and tainted and cursed by sin, we need to be careful and slow to criticize others or to compare ourselves to others. It's, the Bible says it's foolishness to compare ourselves with each other. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We have personal failings. I challenge you to, in your Bible reading, pay attention to people that came into uh, contact with the holiness of God. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne, and he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter saw the miracle that Jesus did and fell down and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. When we compare ourselves with each other, that's a pretty low bar. And it's easy. It's easy to criticize others. But if you realize just how far short every single one of us falls from the glory of God, we would be much slower to criticize. And we have to be careful and, and keep a humble heart and mind. Romans 12, as was read already this morning, says, verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There's a famous story about Muhammad Ali. He was afraid of flying. So there's all sorts of stories uh, uh, that go along with him flying. But once he finally got more comfortable with it, he was in the cabin there and the flight attendant came by and said, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle up your seatbelt. And he said, ma'am, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, without missing a beat, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> we need to realize we have personal failings. We have personal failings. Paul the Apostle, look at what he says about himself. I am the chief of sinners. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Your failings and my, family, my failings are, are many. Far more than we would ever care to admit. And the Bible makes it very clear. God resists the proud, 
it gives grace to the humble. We have personal failings. We've not made it yet. But notice also what Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Purposeful forgetting. Purposeful forgetting. Can I just encourage you now? This is where you have to, have to decide to listen to what the Bible says. Because this is not a hard truth or not a, a, an easy truth to swallow. This is a hard, hard truth. This is a difficult concept, but it's scripture. This church has had a difficult couple of years. There have been many hurts and heartaches. There have been many goodbyes. Some didn't even say goodbye. There have been disappointments, unmet expectations. Things have been said. There has been a lot of uncertainty, and with that uncertainty, fear. There have been gossip and rumors and even backbiting. And what does the Bible say? Not my opinion. The Bible says the only profitable way that you and I can deal with things like that is by letting them go. But pastor, you, you don't know what I've been through. I have no idea. You're right. I have no idea. You don't know what so-and-so said to me. I don't. You don't know how it's felt to be here all this time and to go through the things that I've had to go through. You're right. I have no idea what that was like. You don't know what it's been like, but Jesus knows every bit of it. And in Hebrews chapter four, it says, we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus set the example. Jesus washed the feet of Judas before he told him, what you do, do quickly. And then when Judas came to the garden with all of those, the mob that was with him to arrest Jesus, and when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, Jesus said, friend, friend, gave Judas another chance. There beside Jesus on either side was a thief, two thieves, Jesus in the middle. And the Bible tells us, there's several different passages that refer to it, but the Bible tells us in one of them that those thieves were cursing Christ and mocking Christ with everyone else. And then if you read on in the other accounts in the Gospels, you'll find that one of the thieves realized that Jesus was more than just a criminal on a cross. And he cried out, Lord, Remember me. And Jesus didn't say, you know, you really should have thought of that before you called me names. No, instantly he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Peter, 
Oh, I love Peter. He's just such a great example because, well, Peter didn't write Philippians, but Peter, nobody would argue with Peter when he said, I haven't already attained. I'm not already perfect. Peter was impulsive. He said what was on his mind and and it got him into trouble sometimes. And I like that about Peter. He's very human, the way the Bible portrays him. Peter told Jesus, Lord, even if they kill me, I won't deny you. Then a chapter later, I tell you, I've never heard of the man. And what does Jesus do on the beach there on the seashore? He restores Peter. He reconciles Peter, who not only once, but three times had denied him with cursing. And Jesus Christ has forgiven you time and time and time again when you failed him. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You and I carry a heavy penalty for our sinfulness, but Christ came to take that penalty for us. God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross in your place to take all of your sin upon himself, to take the full wrath of God for sin so that you and I could have eternal life and forgiveness. Jesus has forgiven you everything. And even after you got saved time and time and time again, how many times have you had to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I did it again. Same thing. Here we are. And what do we know from the scripture? That there's no limit to his forgiveness. And we count on that. And Colossians 3 verse 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. What do you have to do? with everything that has happened here, all the disappointments, all the frustrations, all the unmet expectations, every bit of it, you have to purposefully and continually forget. Let it go. Release it. Stop thinking about it. Leave the past in the past because bitterness and resentment are very powerful things. Hebrews chapter 12 says, follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness and resentment is a powerful thing that affects more than just you. And I've seen it so many times in church. Somebody gets their feelings hurt or disappointed or, or leadership does something that they don't quite agree with. And from that moment on, everything just piles up. Little problems, little disappointments, things that just shouldn't be a big deal get lumped into that pile. Until over time, all of a the sudden, they say, you know, we're leaving. Well, why? And the reason they give you is so small. But it's been put on a pile that's been building for years. I saw this online this week. I don't know who said it, but it's a spirit of offense will cause you to hear things that aren't being said. 
A spirit of offense will cause you to hear things that aren't being said. And the offenses just keep growing and growing and growing until eventually you leave. And I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine that there are some of you here this morning, maybe many this morning, whether you realize it or not or mean anything by it or not, but it's just the truth that there is a pile of offenses in your heart. And make no mistake, if you leave that there, that's bitterness and resentment. And today is the day that you let it all go. Well, how in the world am I supposed to forget? No, 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 you don't understand. Forgetting does not mean it never happened. Forgetting does not mean it never happened. Or that it didn't matter, or that it didn't hurt, or that it wasn't real. When the Bible says here, forgetting those things which are behind, it does not mean it never happened. It means you put it out of your mind. You overlook it. You choose not to ruminate on it, or dwell on it, or think about it. It's an exercise. Forgetting is an exercise. You put it out of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God expects you to control your thoughts. We really, we like that preaching when it comes to, you know, uh, lustful thoughts. Oh yeah, control your thoughts. Don't think on those things. But when it comes to resentful thoughts or bitter thoughts or thoughts of pain, we don't apply it the same way. No, 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 no. Every thought, every thought is to be captivated and brought into obedience with Christ, forgetting those things which are behind. It doesn't mean you don't remember it. It doesn't mean it never happened. It means that you choose not to think on it. I guarantee you that if you cannot allow the Spirit to pull down the stronghold of resentment, you will end up resenting me way faster than you anticipated. I guarantee it, really. Really, when people would come to my church that were coming from someone else's church. I had a little trick I did with them. And they'd say, oh, you know, we're, we're coming from so-and-so. And they'd say, oh, Pastor so-and-so, he's a friend of mine. <laughs> Why? If I listened to them complain about me, or complain about him to me, it wouldn't be long before they were complaining about me to somebody else. Why? I'm just a human being, and the minute I do something that reminds you of something that somebody else did, you're going to say, I knew it! He's going to be just like the rest of them. And we chuckle at it, but it's true. How can you come to the Lord's Supper if you're holding on to something that someone said to you in this church or a way your pastor didn't quite live up to the expectations you had for him. 
or another church member, you know what? You better make that right. The resentment will poison you. And more than just you, it poisons your relationship with your heavenly father. In Matthew chapter 18, we have Peter again. Peter comes to Jesus. Jesus had been setting the bar way higher than the disciples expected it to be set. And this is just one example. Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? We chuckle at that, but Peter had chosen the conservative one. Seven times for the same offense. That was the conservative view. But after that, Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times but until 70 times 7. And we reveal our humanness when we do the math. Wow. But what does Jesus say next? He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents, millions. Never could pay it. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. In Genesis chapter 41, Joseph has a son in Egypt. And it says in Genesis 41 verse 51, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me forget. Joseph could have wasted his life away dwelling on what his brothers did to him. Hated him. Wouldn't even talk nice to him. They hated him so much. And then threw him in a pit and argued over what to do with him. Wanted to kill him, but settled for selling him into slavery. And then lied about him to their father. He was separated from his family. He was separated from his homeland. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. But when his son is born, he says, God has made me forget. Spent years in prison, but God has made me forget. And we find at the end of the book, what do we find? That Joseph said, no, 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 
you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He held no resentment against his brothers for what they had done to him. We all must forget those things which are behind in order for this church to move forward. I know that's not an easy truth to hear, but if you want to this church to succeed and to move forward and to thrive for Christ, then you have to choose today, all right? I'm going to put all that behind me. I'm not going to think about it anymore. And from here on forward, this is a new, a new thing. And then we can press forward. We see personal failings, purposeful forgetting and pressing forward. Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't, don't focus on your pastor or, or the deacons or other people in the church. Don't focus on those things. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the one you're running for. He's your goal. Focus on him. Hebrews 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted by everything else. In 1954, there was a man by the name of Roger, Roger Bannister who became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes, bless his heart. But within two months, another man by the name of John Landy eclipsed that record by 1.4 seconds. So they met together on August 7th, 1954 for a race. And as they moved in the last lap, Landy held the lead. And it looked like he was going to win. But as he neared the finish line, he was haunted by the question, where is Bannister? And as he turned to look, Bannister took the lead. And later, Landy told Time Magazine, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won. Don't focus on anything else but Jesus. Do you know that it is a recent and American idea that church ought to be perfect in order for you to be satisfied with it? You start reading history of all the great men that did great things for God. They didn't have perfect churches. They endured some really terrible things, but they kept their eyes on Jesus, and we remember what they did for Christ. Don't look back. Keep your eyes on Christ. Be pressing forward, and then we can have that perfect fellowship that he talks about. He says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Perfect means mature. It means mature, as many as be mature. It takes mature Christians to be unified. It takes maturity to get along with people. And we are called as Christians in Christian maturity to keep our focus on heavenly things and not let the petty distractions and disagreements hinder our fellowship. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond 
of peace, endeavoring, working hard, being diligent at, striving to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Maturity brings unity. How much effort and time we spend trying to find fault with each other when the Bible commands us to pursue peace with each other. Romans 14, 19 says, let us follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. We all need to grow up a little in Christ so that we can be like-minded in Christ. Philippians 2 says in verse 1, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That verse means doesn't mean be a busybody. That verse means don't get so distracted and so focused on your own life and your own self, but instead look to the needs of others and count the needs of others more important than your own. That takes Christian maturity to do that. And we can have that perfect fellowship, pressing forward, being purposeful in the forgetting, knowing we all have personal failings, and that's where the path to the future comes in. He says, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Paul is essentially saying, we're all on the same path. We are all on the same path. We are in this together. We need to follow the same objective. We need to set our minds on the same thing. We must strive together. Why? We're all headed to the same goal. We're all on the same path. Philippians 1 verse 27 says, Only let your conversation, your conduct, your behavior be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're all on the same path. We're going to the same place. We must strive together. It takes work. It takes work to press forward for Christ. It's not automatic. Those of you that are, are married know you bring two people together. Unity doesn't always mean agreement. You bring a hundred people together and you expect that to just be easy? but we're on the same path. We're headed in the same direction. And we need to keep our eyes on Christ with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This needs to be a new beginning in that you need to forget the past. There's something that I've made a practice, not because, you know, just, just for convenience sake, Grand Rapids was not, I mean, it was a big town in Michigan. Greater Grand Rapids area had about 1 million people in it. Greater Houston area has about 7 million people in it. So, you know, big for Michigan, though. 
It was a big town, but it was small enough, and my family had been there for generations, so it was small enough that inevitably you'd run into somebody in the grocery store that you used to go to church with. And as a pastor, you have a lot of people come and go in the church. And I just decided a long time ago that no matter what, I would make sure that I reacted in such a way and said such things that I would never have to avoid someone in the grocery store. And if I did run into somebody in the grocery store that hurt me or said awful things to me, I just determined in my mind I would pretend that we were best friends. That takes effort and work. But forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting doesn't mean it didn't happen. It means you choose not to think about it. North Belt will continue, but it will not relive its past. Those days are behind us. Both what we would consider the good days and the bad days, it will not relive its past. God doesn't work that way. We press forward toward the mark. All of us have a long way to go. And it's part of Christian maturity to be constantly letting go of the offenses and the hurts. We're called to forbear, put up with one another, and press forward for Christ. And our fellowship must be perfect, born out of that Christian maturity, because we are on the same path together. And it's a beautiful thing. You can't, the Bible even says, how can, how can two walk together except they be agreed? What that basically means is they have to know where they're going. They have to agree on the destination if they're going to go together. And we have to realize we are, we are all headed to the same place and should have the same goals. And we must agree to walk together. And our fellowship must be perfect working at it. And that's the only way that this church can move forward and succeed. This one thing I do, and it's up to all of us whether or not we will choose to do it. Let's bow our heads this morning. I pray that the Lord would Give me a spirit of tenderness and compassion as I preach this this morning because I realize and I understand. I've been through it as a pastor myself. Seasons like this are painful and hard. This one thing I do. This morning, if God has spoken to your heart, I want to give you the opportunity to do business with him about that. As the piano plays, let's take some time together. The altar is open. If it's difficult for you to come to the altar, you can make an altar there of your seat and pray. And just call out to Christ, God, give me power and strength to put those things out of my mind. God, give me by your spirit the strength to take every thought captive for Christ. You take this time and use it.